Thank you so much, Jason and the praise team, for leading us in worship today. Good job. Even when uh, Myra and even Pastor Aaron are out, we can, uh, we can still worship and we can still praise our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen? So I am Mark Bogan, and I am a Christ follower. For those of you who uh, have been around a little while, you know that uh, Pastor Aaron introduced that phrase, Christ follower, and uh, sort of... Uh, um, a synonym for a Christian, just to uh, add a little bit more depth and, and a different um, perspective on what it means to, to be a believer, to follow Jesus. There are a lot of people in this world that call themselves Christians. It's become a little bit of a, a misused or misapplied word. So Christ follower and Christian are synonymous, but we're using Christ follower as a way to uh, show a different attitude and perspective of our heart. So uh, when I say I'm a Christ follower, when we use the video, you know, for the baptisms, the last week the, the two boys said, you know, I'm a Christ follower, and that just warms my heart to, to hear that. So I've been a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus for about 29 years. So this fall will be my 29th spiritual birthday, and it actually happened right here at Southview Baptist Church, and I'm just so thankful to be a part of this church family, to be uh, part of this community, this fellowship that's uh, helped me to grow in my faith and then now contributing to my, my family's growth in, in the Lord and uh, just all that means to us. You know, we, we spend uh, a lot of time together, you know, every week. Many of you are here worshiping on Sunday, Wednesday nights. We have Bible study and prayer and we do other activities and events throughout the year. And it's important for us to remember who we are as a, as a church and as a body. And there's lots of different language in the Bible about, uh, about who we are, about what we are, and, and what that means. And today we're going to look at a passage from 1 Peter. But just thinking about this idea, I titled it The Ins and Outs of Us and Them. Because, you know, ins and outs, that shows that there's a little bit of a complexity to it, that it's not always simple and straightforward. Sometimes it seems very clear who is us and who is them. You know, uh, in the world today, there's a lot of division, there's a lot of things that are dividing people, and I'm not, I'm not promoting that, and I don't want to encourage that, but the Bible uses language to, to define who we are, who us is, and then it also talks about them. And so you might think of a couple of examples in the world today, you know, I wrote down a few. When I was a kid, growing up in Nebraska, you know, I was a Husker, Cornhusker fan, and I still am, even though it's uh, not as easy. Um, but back then, us was clearly Nebraska, and them, in my context, was the Oklahoma Sooners. They were clearly them. And then somewhere along the way, they kind of lost prominence, and then it was some Florida team that, that we played every, you know, January, some bowl game, and that was them. So whether it was, you know, Florida, Florida State, Miami, they became them. And then Texas kind of showed up as them for a while, you know, because we were in the same conference, and they did a pretty good job of being them. And uh, we were still us. In the political world, there are Republicans and Democrats, of course, and liberals and uh, conservatives. You know, you might classify us and them as rich and poor, or maybe in your context, it could be uh, upper middle class and lower middle class. We're really good at finding ways to divide and separate. Uh, white and black, obviously, old and young, management and labor, depending on your context. Uh, you could also think about, you know, highly educated versus, versus less educated. 
um, within the school. If you're a student, maybe intellectuals and athletes or nerds and jocks or however you want to refer to that. Um, maybe if you're from a rural area, the ranchers and the farmers. You know, I hear my uh, father-in-law talk about the farmers and their fences. And, you know, we just need to be able to roam free on the wild prairie. So there's a division there. Um, if you're more in the technology world, maybe Macs versus PCs or Marvel versus DC, Xbox versus PlayStation, and for my son, Fortnite versus PUBG. So it's part of the human condition. It's part of who we are, and, and, and some of it has to do with our sinful nature and God's uh, um, working on us to unite us. But Satan's plan is to attempt to deceive and manipulate us and divide us and try to find ways to, to keep us from having unity. So obviously there's many divisions in the world, but our scripture memory verse actually kind of contains some of this language. So let's look at that and let's say it together. So we'll start with the reference and then the verse and the reference in, uh, in standard form. So Psalm 85.4, now restore us again, O God, of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Psalm 85.4. So I think Aaron might preach on this verse, but it does contain the word us in there twice. And so one of the things that you should ask if Aaron doesn't answer is, who is the us in that verse talking about? And, uh, and think about that when you're reading Scripture. Read for understanding. Uh, don't just read over it and, and think, oh, that's great. Um, think about who's involved. Who's, a, who's the author writing to? Who's it intended for? And what's the purpose of that? So when we read those Bible verses, it's really important uh, to get a little deeper. And so today we're going to look at a Scripture from uh, 1 Peter 2 verses 9 through 17. And if you would stand, I think it's a great tradition that we have to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word, that this is uh, our handbook, this is our guide, this has been uh, preserved and handed down to us. And I'll read 1 Peter 2, 9 through 17. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Thank you. You may be seated. And I'm going to pray and ask God that he would bless our study of his word this morning. Our dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for bringing us to this place today with these people your family of God, right here at Southview Baptist Church. Lord, I thank you for 
the difference that they're making in each other's lives and in my life and in the lives of my family. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us and through us, that we would know you better, that we would be able to serve you effectively, that we would be able to share the good news with those that are outside these walls in our community, in our homes perhaps, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools. Wherever we go, Lord, we know that there are people who are lost and that need you. So just help us to, to, to be good communicators of your truth, to live lives that would honor you. I thank you so much for Jesus who makes this possible, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. So, this passage contains a lot, and uh, I have way too many blanks on the page as my uh, wife and Chris have pointed out, so we're just going to go through them as quickly as we can, and you're just going to have to have your pens ready to write. But the first thing that this verse points out to us is that we are chosen, and this makes us special. Now, when you think about being chosen and being special, what comes to your mind? Have you ever felt really special? Has something ever occurred in your life that you just felt like you were uh, the, the center in a good way of attention? Maybe not unwanted attention, but that you, that you appreciated, that you enjoyed it. Maybe somebody remembers your birthday, and that makes you just feel like, oh, today is my day, and I'm special. And, you know, people like me. You know, that's a good thing to feel. And to be chosen, you know, the classic uh, example, you know, on the screen, the schoolyard and you're choosing up teams and you don't want to be the last person, you know, picked for, you know, some whatever sports thing they're, they're doing. You want, to, you want to feel like, you know, they value me. They want me on the team. Or maybe you're on the, the math club and, and they know that you have a special ability. Or maybe you're uh, trying out for the, for the drama and you get a part. You get a significant uh, piece of the action. That you're, that you're special. You contribute. That you're doing something. Or maybe at work you know, being praised for your, for your efforts. You know, you've worked on a project and you know that you've done a good job, that the boss singles you out in front of everybody. That can feel good, although that can also cause some problems with your coworkers sometimes, but, but, that's, uh, but that's the risk you take. That's the, the downside. But the joy of being chosen, it made me think of the Toy Story trilogy. That's one of my, one of my favorites of the animated films. I just really love Woody. And I love that... Um, you know, he has this relationship with his boy, with his kid. Does anybody know what his kid's name was? Andy, yeah. And he has Andy's name written on his boot, right? To show ownership, to show that he's loved by Andy, that he's a special possession of Andy's. And, you know, in the whole series of movies, there's like the kind of the drama of, you know, Andy's growing up and will he still love me and will he still treasure me? And then you see... Woody's identity is based on that, that relationship. And in a way, that's uh, what we're like. We are God's special possession. In fact, uh, he has given us his seal. The Holy Spirit is marking us for that future time, uh, showing that there's ownership, that there's a promise, a guarantee for the future. And we just finished reading Revelation uh, 22 in my Sunday school, and it actually has a little verse in there, 22 verse 4, that says that one day we'll have our names on our foreheads, which seems kind of bizarre, but um, showing that mark, that ownership, that relationship, that specialness, that we are God's special possession. Now, a verse in the Old Testament that I've always uh, considered as really special is Isaiah 43, 4. It says, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, 
I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. So we can take great joy in knowing that, that the God who made us, that he loves us, that he cares about us so very much, and we know that's true uh, through the gospel message that he loved us so much that he gave his only son, and that that is uh, how we can have this relationship with God. He gave Jesus as a ransom for our lives, and it's because of this that we have received mercy, as it says in uh, 1 Peter 2.10, that we've been shown mercy, that we deserved punishment, but we received, uh, we've, been, we've been spared from the punishment that we deserve. And that's important. For any of you who are still in the beginning stages of your spiritual journey, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you're still uh, unsure of where you stand with God, this is the very first thing that you need to deal with, is am I a child of God? Am I in a relationship with the God who loves me and wants to have this eternal relationship with me? So um, every message has a a gospel appeal, and I'm going to give it to you at the beginning, and I'm going to give it to you in the middle, and I'm going to give it to you at the end, because that's the only way that it's going to stick, I think. But there's a risk of being chosen, and I kind of alluded to it, you know, when I talked about your your boss singling you out, that sometimes uh, when you're chosen, when you're special, it kind of goes to your head, right? You can feel maybe a little too special, maybe like you're better than other people or, or that it's uh, something that you deserve, almost uh, that, that you've done something that nobody else can or, or is able to. And so I think that the, the next point of this is that uh, we need to have a humility of being chosen, remembering that uh, it was God who chose us and maybe not even the other way around, depending on how you read that. But Think back to when you're, you had your first contact with Christians, okay? Some of you, you you've grown up in families of faith that uh, your whole lives, you've, your parents or your grandparents or somebody in your family or in your relationships, they've always communicated that truth, that, that word of God into your life. And so you've, you've known what Christians are like for, for a long time, if not your entire life. But at some point, somebody had to introduce God, Jesus, the gospel into your life. And for some of you, that may not have taken place until later. In my life, I didn't grow up in a, in a household that went to church regularly, if ever. Uh, the Bible was never discussed or, or read or uh, honored. And so it wasn't until later in my life. I had some Christians kind of throughout my, my early life that, that uh, attempted to, to share with me from time to time. But it wasn't until I was in high school that I really started to think, you know, is this book valuable? Is there anything in here for me? And so I had a, a friend in high school that was uh, on fire for the Lord, and she was uh, always encouraged me, encouraging me to consider uh, who Jesus was, what he did. Does he matter today? And so, you know, it kind of took a while for it to sink in because I'm a little hard-headed and I'm argumentative sometimes, and I you know, don't want to admit that I'm wrong, and maybe some of you can relate to that. Um, but... At the point when I realized that I needed to think about that, God was there waiting for me. And so I came to Southview. I remember the very first time I came to Southview. It was in the late 1900s. That one's for my kids. <laughs> I was a young teenage, a teenager. And I came, and this was before this part of the building was, was built. And I was actually invited by a friend of mine to go downstairs on a Wednesday night for dinner. They used to serve dinner before the Wednesday night programming. 
So that's how long ago this was. But every Wednesday they would serve dinner. It was probably lasagna and salad and beans, green beans. It was always lasagna and green beans and, but, or corn. And one of my friends, so he, his family went to church here. And uh, he was part of the youth group growing up. And uh, so we were uh, hanging out at my house on a Wednesday afternoon, doing things that we probably shouldn't have been doing. And uh, come around dinner time, uh, we were getting hungry. And uh, we didn't have any money, and nobody was home at my house to make me dinner. So he's like, I have a great idea. We'll go to my church, and they'll serve us dinner, and my mom will even pay for it. Now, I'm not going to name names, because uh, some of you probably know this guy. But uh, anyway, so I came with him, and we went downstairs, and we were really, thought we were being really careful to you know, not talk to too many people and just see his mom, and she paid for us to go through. I think it was a couple bucks or love offering or however that worked. And uh, we got some food, and then he's like, dude. And he actually said dude, because it was the 80s. He said dude. That one's for Aaron, if he's going to listen later. He said, dude, we need to eat fast, otherwise we're going to have to go to Bible study. <laughs> so we ate fast and, and got out as quickly as possible. And that was my first interaction with Southview, and, and everyone was nice to me. But I just, remember thinking that, I just remember thinking very clearly of this idea of the us and them. And I was definitely part of them at that time. You know, I wasn't part of us. Uh, I wasn't a believer. I was a pretty ornery agnostic at the time. And I was just hungry and wanted a meal. And Southview, I'll say you, so some of you were probably there, you fed me. And that was my, my first interaction. Now at that time, and it's not a whole lot different now, but at that time, there was a lot of bad publicity going on in the world about Christians and leaders and churches, and it really kind of turned me off, and it really made me uncomfortable with, you know, with even considering Jesus because of Christians. So that was my first uh, real thought on that, you know, the scandals, the hypocrisy, the sense of judgment and uh, self-righteousness. Those things were really sticking out to me at that time, and I see it differently now, but at that time, that's just what what I thought and how I felt. So it's important for us as believers, to consider how they look at us, how they perceive us. You are chosen. You are special. There is great joy in that, and you should take comfort and confidence in that, that you were selected by the the God and creator of the universe. And make sure that you remain humble through that. I'll share my second visit in a little bit, but one of the verses that uh, came out through the second visit was from Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And so that verse God used through a sermon over in the other room, Dr. Bob Grayson, was preaching through Romans, it seems like, and I showed up on the Sunday when he got to that verse, and it seemed like he was just talking to me, and I, that really was, a, 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 was able to cut through some of that uh, maybe wrong thinking or, or thinking that it, that it wasn't helping me to consider God and the Bible, about Christians specifically. So when I get to the part about the second visit, that'll make more sense. But when you think about the history of God's people— Israel also had this situation. They were chosen from among the nations, and they started to think of themselves as very special. And God speaks to them in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says in verses 7 and 8, 
The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. They were a very small nation. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so God was reminding them that they were special, chosen from all the nations, uh, and it wasn't because they were great. It wasn't because they could do anything for God other than magnify his glory, to take a, a small people and make them uh, great because of who God is and was. And we're in the same situation, that, that God chooses us. Um, Paul even calls us uh, lowly and foolish in 1 Corinthians when he talks about uh, God chose the lowly things of this world to nullify the things that are let those who boast, boast in the Lord. So this is where the reality check comes in. The first part is that you were chosen and you were special. If you were God's child, if you believed and received in the one he had sent, you've become a child of God. But remember to keep that in the right perspective, that God is the one who makes us special, that uh, it's what he has done, not because of what we are or what we've done for him. And so when I think about this passage in First Peter, I think that that's an important thing for us to remember. Having a proper understanding of our purpose will help us maintain the right attitude of joy and humility, and it will help us to fulfill our purpose, which is where we're going to go next. So we were chosen for a purpose. There's some other verses on there. If you want to write them down, you can check those out, but they speak about that topic. So what did God, the king of the universe, choose me for? What, you know, why did he choose you? He created humans to have a relationship with him. We're all created in the image of God with the capacity to know him and to be known by him. So that was at the beginning when we were created. And so through that process of you know, Adam and Eve having fellowship with God in the garden, they sinned, they were booted out. And so now we're working uh, with God to, to have a restoration of that relationship. God is calling us, drawing us, uh, drawing people to himself. And so it's important for you to know about that relationship. What is your purpose? Each of us have a different gift and a different role in our body. You know, there's lots of passages about that. But all of us do have a gift and a role. So that is uh, an underlying element that you need to remember. But one of the things that he applies to each of us, and it's evident in this passage, is that we were chosen to become children of the king. He says that he first of all calls us royal. Okay? Now, as Americans, most of us are Americans here. There's a few of you that may come from other places. But as Americans, we have this kind of automatic uh, rejection of royalty. You know, we might think that that's kind of fun to watch, you know, what those guys in England are doing or or other places in the world that still have royalty. But we rejected that as a nation, and individually, we still reject it. And it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite irreverent quotes from a Mighty Python movie. A king, eh? I didn't vote for you. And that's really the whole point, is that you don't vote for the king. The king has authority and power inherent in themselves. And so, you know, we've rejected that, but it's important to remember the context from the original uh, receivers of this message, and also the future context when God himself will be king and we will be ruling with Jesus. So um, when he says, 
To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You need to remember that that involves royalty, that, that you are a royal person. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. And that gives you certain rights and responsibilities. I was reading about the, the royal family not long ago, probably related to the whole, you know, one of the weddings or whatever that happened recently, but um, thinking about their job, you know, they're born with uh, pretty much the golden ticket. Um, you know, they have everything provided for them, but they do have to work. Um, in a sense, they represent their country as the head of the state, as a figurehead, certainly, but a very real um, a capacity that they fulfill, almost like a living monument, they call it. You know, so, you know, we have you know, old buildings and places that we can visit, but they have people that can actually show up at events and uh, whether it's charities or uh, uh, service uh, works that, that they represent the country. And so that's uh, an important thing. And so in the sense that we are children of, of the king, we also have that same right and responsibility to, instead of people coming to this building to worship God, God actually sends us out of this building. We are the temples of God, it says in another place in Scripture, that we can leave this building and become representatives all through. And that becomes even clearer in the next part of this, that we are called to be a priesthood for God. So when he calls us a royal priesthood, he's combining two roles that were, that were uh, held in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. You know, there were kings and there were priests and there were prophets and uh, they couldn't overlap, or they, they didn't overlap. But we also have a kind of a negative connotation about priests a lot of times, particularly in, in the evangelical Protestant traditions. Um, some you know, other faiths have priests, and, and they separate them highly and completely. But this is saying that each and every person who is a child of God is not only royal, but they are a priest, and so you might ask, what does a priest do? What's a priest good for? And I came up with a couple ideas. Priests make sacrifices for the people. So what's a way that you can make a sacrifice for the people? And when I say the people, I'm talking about anybody that's around you or in your sphere of influence or you interact with. How can you uh, make a sacrifice for them? Praying is a huge one. You know, when you pray for somebody... You're bringing their needs before the God and creator of the universe. Now, a lot of times, uh, people that aren't followers of, of Jesus or, or consider themselves uh, believers in Christ, they'll still accept your prayers. Like if you have somebody in your life that's going through something difficult and you ask if you can pray for them, uh, I believe that a lot of the time, maybe nine out of ten times, they'll say, maybe even more, maybe 99 out of 100 times, they'll say, yes, I would appreciate your prayers. They aren't going to turn down that. From their perspective, what do they have to lose, right? But you are doing a real uh, service. You're making a real sacrifice for them that is meaningful and significant. And they may not even know how meaningful and significant that is, but you know, and when God blesses that, then they may know. And so I think that's an important thing for us to remember, that prayer is an important sacrifice that we can make for people to God, representing the people around us to the God we love and serve. Okay? So when you think about being a priest, think about making sacrifices through prayer. 
There's other ways you can make sacrifices with your time and your, your influence and your energy and your uh, interest in them. When you speak truth into their lives and you um, spend time with them in a way that's honoring to God, uh, you are making an intercession. You are bridging a gap between God and those people. So there's lots of ways you can make sacrifices, but maybe a question that you could ask yourself is, how can I be a priest today? And say that with a straight face. How can I be a priest today? The other way that we can uh, be a priest is to represent God to the people, so the other direction. Uh, You might also, there's some other words that are used in Scripture. Being an ambassador for Christ is one that I love from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talks about our relationship with God as being an ambassador. Now, think about what an ambassador does. An ambassador goes out from his nation, from his country, representing that country to others, to other countries, to other nations, to other entities. They speak on behalf of the sender agent. Now, they don't have any authority outside of what they've been given. The, you know, the decision makers, the, whether it's the government or the, the rulers, they tell the ambassador what to say and what they're willing to do and, and all that, but they have all the authority to do everything within that mandate, within that, uh, that call, that mission to represent the country. And so that's us. We receive the, the, the Great Commission, for example, to go out and make disciples and to teach and to baptize. And so we go out and do that on behalf of God. And so we're, we're in a sense, we're priests. We're representing God uh, to the people that we're dealing with. And we're also urging them to be reconciled to God, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20. So that's an important function that we hold, that we are royal priesthood, that we've been uh, declared children of the king. So if there's a king and he has children, then we are, in fact, royal And we are priests. We are representatives for God and to God. And those are both important. Now, my second visit to Southview uh, happened probably another year later after the first time. And so that young woman that I was uh, friends with in high school invited me to come to church uh, on a Sunday morning. Now, I worked nights at the Super Saver stocking groceries. And I got off at like 7 o'clock. And uh, I went home and showered and got ready. And I had to drive clear across town because I lived way northeast, and you guys are on this side of town. So I got there a little late, and I hate to be late. I don't know if you knew that about me, but for me, early is on time. On time is considered late. It feels late, and if I'm really late, I just don't show up. Uh, When I was in school, like if I was late to class, uh, which rarely happened only because the CTA in Chicago uh, messed me up, then I would maybe just go down to the library. I don't know what it is, maybe walking into a room where it's already happening, but, but I don't like to be late. So I was late that morning. The church service had already started, or maybe uh, Sunday school, I think, actually. We had Sunday school first. And there was a man waiting at the door named Jim Esslinger. Some of you might know him, but he was waiting at the door, greeting people, but I, he was just by himself when I got there late. And he knew who I was, and I didn't know who he was. I think he was assigned to be there, I'm not positive. I never did find that out. But, but it seemed like he knew and he was ready to get me into Sunday school without any really hassle. So he introduced himself. He's a really cheerful, joyful man. And uh, he, you know, escorted me to Sunday school. He got me into the class. Uh, Barry Hamilton was our teacher. There was a bunch of other college-age students in there. And, 
it was kind of weird for me, and, but uh, I survived the weirdness, and uh, I had a Bible that I found like in a, you know, a, a drawer somewhere, and it was an old one, and I couldn't hardly read it, but people were showing me like where the verses were that we were talking about in class. They were helping me to navigate the, the process of, of church, you know, of Sunday school. Now, think about a situation where you've gone in and you don't know what's happening. You're not familiar with the, the structure, the language, the culture, the, uh, you know, the way things work in that environment. Some of you can immediately rec- uh, relate to that. Maybe it's when you're the new person at work, or maybe you've gone to a new school, or maybe you came into a, a situation that you don't know how you got there or why you're there, but you're there, and you're going to just try to deal. And that's what it's like to come into a church if you're not a churchgoer. You know, we have a different language that we speak. We use words that people don't use outside this building. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, we have practices. You know, we don't, we're not really high church here, but we have some things that we do that, like even standing when we read God's word, you know, or um, just the way we greet one another. Do I have, how do I dress? That's always a question, you know, for somebody that's going to visit a church. I, do I need to wear a coat and tie, or can I just wear shorts and a t-shirt, or... There's lots of questions about that. And if you, don't, if you don't know what that's like, and I'm sure each and every one of you really do know what that's like, but it's good to remember what that's like. Try visiting an, another, a, a service of even, another faith even. Uh, maybe they have some language that you just don't know. Like if you go down to the uh, synagogue, they might be speaking Hebrew at times. Or if you were able to visit a mosque somehow, they might be speaking another language like Arabic. Uh, you'll feel really out of place and uncomfortable. Uh, go to a Buddhist temple. We had an assignment in Chicago when we went to school where we had to go visit some different religious traditions, even a Catholic service if you've never been, uh, or a Greek Orthodox, or just try something different. You'll know what it feels like in some way to walk into this church as a brand new person and say, okay, let's learn about God. What do I do first? And, uh, and that'll be a good reminder for you. So I came to this church, and people were so welcoming to me, and I was thinking about some of the people that I met that day. You know, I mentioned Jer- uh, Jim and Barry, and Dr. Bob Grayson preached, and it was like the, the Holy Spirit was speaking through him directly to me. Uh, people like Margaret and John Rice were here, and the Hollemans and the Nettletons, and Mike and Velda Brady, uh, Betty and Marty Proctor. You might remember some of them. So... Um, it was really an eye-opener to, to go through this day of, you know, go to a Bible study, don't have any idea what they're doing there, go into the church, not really comfortable there, people greeting you. You know, I had a friend that was kind of alongside of me, but uh, it was just a little bit overwhelming to remember what it's like to be them and not us. So you were chosen for a purpose. You were chosen to uh, represent God as a royal priest, and you're also called to be a holy nation. I'm just going to pop that up, and you can, uh, you can look at this verse on your own, but Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior. From there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a royal priesthood, we've also been declared a nation, a people set apart unto God. And when you think about being a nation and citizenship, in this nation, the kingdom of heaven is the kind of the way I think about it. Now, one of the questions that I had is, what is it like to be a dual citizen? And can you be a dual citizen? Can you have allegiance to two nations? Now, some people may hold multiple passports in, in our 
day and age, that is a possibility. But in one sense, when you are uh, declaring citizenship into a nation, uh, there's a real sense that you're rejecting citizenship in whatever other nation you came from. I don't know if Sylvan had to do that when she became a citizen, but there's a sense of you give up where you're from and you embrace where you're going to. And I kind of look at it like this. Now, in First Peter chapter 2, he refers to his audience as foreigners and exiles. Now, some translations say live as foreigners and exiles or strangers and aliens. But really what he's saying is you're already strangers, you're already aliens, you're foreigners. In reality, they were scattered all over the, uh, the Mediterranean because of the climate of the day. But in another sense, they were outsiders because... They were now declaring themselves Christians, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So something for you to think about, a takeaway is, um, how can you live as a citizen of heaven where you're at right now? And that all ties into the being royal, being a priesthood, being an ambassador, but taking that uh, seriously, that we are looking forward to a kingdom that is uh, not... um, the same as the the country that we live in. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have pride and and a sense of belonging here in the United States of America. We live in a great country, perhaps the greatest country uh, ever. But the fact is, is that a country, a a nation is coming that's going to be even better. And we'll look at that with Abraham in a little bit. But we're away from our true home right now. And we need to keep that fact in view as we live our lives each day. So think about what it means to be a citizen of heaven. So the last part is uh, more practical in nature. Peter turns his attention to living that out in a practical way. And he, he has uh, expressed that God's desire is for them, so anybody that's not us, to become a part of us. And that's really where he's going with this, the royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart, that we have a function, that we have a job to do. And his desire is that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. He says that in his second letter in 2 Peter 3, 9. So God's desire is for them to become a part of us. So how can we live our lives as us to be attractive to them? And he gives us a couple of very solid examples of that. He says, first of all, that we should live good lives for him. Now, what does that mean to live good lives for him? When you think about the choices that you make in your life, what are you doing that is either uh, attracting or repelling people who are considering God? Now, in my examples of visiting Southview, I had some preconceptions or misconceptions about what Christians were like, that they were judgy or that they thought they were better than me. Some of that was me and some of that was them, that there was hypocrisy, that there was self-righteousness and judgment involved. But we do need to make sure that we don't uh, have that kind of attitude. But we can also live lives where we make choices uh, to do good things for him. You know, living our lives sacrificially, giving of our, you know, people outside of the church don't understand why you would give your time, talents, and treasure to God. One, if they don't believe that there's a God, then you're probably just wasting it from their opinion. But also, you know, I could buy a boat, or I could, you know, go on a trip, or I could have things for my family, uh, more things better things. I could do other things with that time, talent, and treasure than, than give that to God. And uh, Pastor David always does a good job of reminding us that when he uh, presents the uh, call to offering. 
that these are things that are important to God and that he gave them to us and we can give them back. Now, a result of giving, living a good life for God is that they will slander us. It says that in the passage that they will, um, that they will slander us. Um, and my only pushback on that is don't give them more ammunition than they already have. Okay, we're in this together. We're individually and corporately accountable to God. Don't give them any more ammunition than they already have against us. So, you know, obviously that rules out just uh, doing things that are completely uh, against God's will. But, but having a, a mindset of being careful about that. So think about one of your questions to take away, a little homework, is to think about what kind of things can I do in my life that will reflect well on God? And is there anything in my life that I need to do that would uh, be a distraction or a hindrance to somebody else? Now, you are living as a free people. He says in the next uh, verse, live as free people, live as God's slaves. Now, as a free people, you can make a decision to live however you want. Paul also talks about this. He says that, you know, you have freedom to do whatever you want, but make choices with that freedom that will honor God, that will bless him. So when he says live as free people, but live as God's slaves, that seems kind of like a contradiction, right? Now, that word slaves is a very complex word, uh, doulos. Now, it means, we, we see it translated as slave or servant and sometimes bond servant. Now, a bond servant actually has the best connotation for me. When you willingly indenture yourself, when you willingly commit yourself to serve somebody else, higher than you, stronger than you, more powerful than you, like our God, then you are submitting yourself as a slave to them, but you have the freedom to do that. Now, once you make that commitment, I don't think you can take that back, but that's what you're doing. You are willingly indenturing yourself to God. He has, he has bought you, and he gives you a choice to go and serve him or to serve the old master. And so when you live as free people, that means you can make choices, and when you live as God's slaves, that means you are making the choice to serve God. Does that make sense? So just being like being a king or a priest, a bondservant is something that we really don't have a strong understanding of. Some people in our nation's history did indenture themselves for periods of time to come to the United States to, to get here. Maybe they worked for seven years to pay their passage. And it would be something like that, but it's a lifetime commitment in this case. Now, the last thing that I had is to live respectfully, purposefully, temporarily as foreigners. There's a lot of, a lot of descriptors in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> But he says, the one that I want to really underscore is love the brotherhood of believers. Because that's one that I think that, that we do a pretty good job of, but we can only get better at. When we love one another, Jesus says, that's how they're going to know that we are his disciples. That's what's attractive outside of these walls to a world that is lost and dying. They want to belong to a community, a fellowship, that truly loves them unconditionally from the power of God, we can do that. And only from the power of God can we do that. When we take care of each other, that is very attractive to people outside these walls. The world is not a nice place. You know that. Um, there are some affinity groups. There are some uh, brotherhoods and associations that, where people can go and, uh, and have some good times and maybe have some times where they're doing something that they like to do together. You know, we can join a golf uh, team, or we can uh, 
do a, do a service uh, association. And those aren't bad things, but there's nothing like the fellowship and love that comes uh, through a real body of Christ, loving one another, serving, taking care of one another in a way that's meaningful and significant. So my assignment for you is to think about uh, who in this church am I in a real relationship with? Who am I really developing that relationship with on an ongoing basis? Not just on Facebook, uh, not just in Sunday school, oh, that's a good place to start, but am I relating to anybody deeply and meaningfully? That uh, they would remember me when I'm absent. That when I need something, I can go to them. When they need something, I can help them. That there's a fellowship, relationship, accountability, and that is the type of relationship that he's talking about here when he says love the brotherhood of believers. That this is a real relationship. This isn't just us getting together on Sunday. We sang some great songs. We heard from a, a guy who talked about the Bible. We're really applying this to our life, and that is how they're going to know that we are his disciples. So uh, we have lots of opportunities to do that. Um, I did give an example of this idea of living as a foreigner in this world. I'm just going to put this up here to close with thinking about Abraham. And then I'm done, I promise. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So whatever you're living in now, whatever your life is like now, remember that that's temporary and that we are living with a purpose, that we are living with a calling to serve God and looking forward to that kingdom that is yet to come, that's built on foundations that are from God who is the architect and builder. Now, one of the opportunities that we have is to uh, interact with people who are uh, not uh, used to coming to a church, that are outside of our fellowship. And I'm going to ask Silvana to come up. She's going to share uh, a letter that we received from a student who is from Malaysia and uh, was communicating some of these ideas that we've been talking about this morning. So listen to that, and then uh, we'll close with, uh, with a word of prayer. Thanks. This is the letter that Mark received from Raj. I quote, I hope you've not forgotten me yet. I am Raj from Malaysia. I'm one of the grateful students who have been lucky to be a part of ISF and all of their wonderful events. I graduated from UNL last fall in December 2017 and have since been back in Malaysia. It's been almost nine months now since I've left Lincoln and I have to say, while it does feel great to be back home, I find myself reminiscing on the memories and the great times I had in my three years in the U.S. And a lot of those memories have been with ISF. Growing up in the big city of Kuala Lumpur, I was used to a certain type of lifestyle. We were all always busy in our own world not giving a care about people from outside our circle. We never went out of our way to help a stranger or even smile at people when we pass on the street. We all pretty much just minded our own business, and that was the norm. 
Then I came to Lincoln and met you guys through the ISF community, and my life saw a new light. There you guys were, a group of people completely different from us, and while knowing nothing about our background or where we came from, you welcomed us into your lives with open arms. I definitely felt the love and felt very humbled. I remember talking to my other Malaysian friends and thinking, I thought good people like this only existed in the movies. But in all seriousness, I don't think you guys know how touched we are by your generosity and willingness to organize all the events and trips you guys have year in and year out for us. During my time in UNL, I had attended two ISF fall retreats with my friends, and those were some of the best memories of my life. Growing up in a big city like Kuala Lumpur, we never got the chance to go out into the wilderness and sing campfire songs under a bright starry night. We never got to just take a kayak out to the lake and go kayaking or play outdoor games such as rock climbing and that box stacking game that I, I really sucked at. <laughs> I remember one night where we all gathered together and talked about why we were thankful for our families. Opening our heart like that wasn't something I was used to back home, and it sure felt good to be able to speak out about our feelings deeply and hear our friends speak about them as well. While I really, really enjoyed both the retreats, my favorite trip would definitely have to be the ski, ski trip in Wyoming. I always tell people till this day that it was the most fun activity I had ever done. I love skiing. I also remember it being my first time ever on skis. And while everyone else was off enjoying the trails, you and Nicole were so kind and patient to stay with me and my friends all day long at the bunny hop to teach us and made sure we got it. As we were clearly struggling, we finally managed to get the hang of it towards the end of the day, and it felt great. I remember everyone just being so supportive and helpful to each other that weekend. It was such a breath of fresh air being up in those mountains. I think I can speak for every student that has had an encounter with ISF whether it be from a Thanksgiving dinner, a ski trip, a retreat, or even just a small weekly meeting session to help improve our English. We all felt the unconditional love that you had for us and feel utterly grateful for it all. You've given me so many memories and lessons that I have taken home with me to Malaysia and I'd just like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for letting us be a part of ISF and its amazing community. I'll never forget the time I spent with you guys. And I hope you continue, I hope you continue this tradition so that other international students like us would be able to bring back stories and memories like these when they look back. If there are two words I could use to describe ISF, it would be unconditional love. No matter what race, religion, color, background, or beliefs, you guys were always there for us, 
And just to let you know, you will always have a home in Malaysia if you ever decide to visit. Just maybe bring some cornbread along if you ever do, because I really miss that. Hope you are doing well, Raj. Unquote. He sent a picture, and it's up. Um, at the university, we are told, um, not directly, indirectly, to keep our faith underground. However, recently, Mark was approached, and the Rwandan Scholar Program would like our church to be involved in hosting some of the Rwandan students so they have a connection with American families. And I'm saying families because they love children. Now, you are most probably going to hear the word host family and get scared that you have to do something every week and you don't. Um, you know, when you're taking your kids out for their ball games, they love soccer. Um, you know, just uh, invite them to join in. They love children. They miss their brothers and sisters. They miss their families. Some of you already know of a tragedy where a Rwandan student passed away last year, and, um, and he was lonely. And so this is an opportunity God has brought to us right here, and uh, Mark is going to tell you a little bit more about it. I just want to encourage you not to miss out on this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Silvana. Take that. So, <clears throat> thank you. You don't often get to hear that kind of uh, response or feedback when you're ministering to people, but that's just one example of the ways that we can love other people, to spend time with them, to invite them into our homes, to have a meal. As Silvana said, you don't have to do anything different. Just invite them along. So that's just one example. International students is obviously what I do, and I'm very excited about it, and I want all of you to be excited about it. But it could be a neighbor, could be a coworker, could be uh, somebody uh, that you just meet, uh, or somebody in your family. Spending time with them, invite them to come alongside, to share the love of Christ. And then one day, on that day when he appears, that they might glorify God and to be included in the us and no longer a part of them. Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. So our job is not to build that back up, but to be a bridge instead of a wall. We shouldn't be building walls. We should be building bridges. And that includes uh, reaching out, sharing, and loving. So I'm going to pray. If you want to uh, get involved with the Rwandan Scholar Host Program, uh, send me an email. Uh, let me know or see me after church. Uh, that's an excellent opportunity uh, to have a student or students in your home over the Thanksgiving holiday and, and forward. Uh, we can give you more information about that. We can provide training and instruction. It's very easy, though. Love them. Feed them. That's all it takes. I'm going to pray. Thank you so much for listening today. Our dearly Father, I do thank you so much for uh, being here with us, for your Holy Spirit's guidance uh, through this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart, that we would uh, see clearly what it is that you would have us do as a response. We would look at some of the questions that were asked and say, how can I uh, live like I'm chosen? How can I serve like I'm chosen? And how can I help bring them into this great fellowship that we call the body of Christ? I thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.